Well, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, there are Bibles still on our welcome table you can grab for yourself so you can follow along with us this morning. Uh, I, I want to say, just to start, what a blessing it's been this summer to hear from the other men who taught through the Sermon on the Mount along with me. And I just want us to take a moment just to applaud and, and thank them for just their contribution, how they poured into us God's Word. Uh, such a blessing. Thankful for those guys. Um, I've been praying over this summer, asking the Lord for, for vision, for direction on what He would have for us next in His Word. I've seen over the years how specific the Lord has been, where we're at in His Word, to speak into things that we couldn't have foreseen, that we would maybe face, or it's something that comes up, and, and it's just like the perfect thing at just the perfect season that God just, he, He's orchestrated, and I always desire that. I don't want it to be me like, I just, I really like that, or that really, I really gravitate towards this book. It's like, Lord, what do you want? What do you want your people to hear? What, what do you know we need to be equipped with? And so I've been praying uh, for the Lord to give vision regarding that, and I wasn't going to share with you what it was, and I'm still not. I'm going to do it next week. I'm going to share what it is because, you know, I feel pretty confident of what the Lord's given me, but I, you know, he, sometimes he switches things up. I was, felt like I was confident the week before that, and then something else came about. So, um, But over the last few weeks, there's been a passage of, of Scripture that's come up for me a few times that I believe is a, is a, is a fitting follow-up to what we just finished studying in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount last week. If we remember as Jared shared in Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus is speaking to the disciples that had gathered, and he's, he's telling them about the, the two roads, and then he's talking about the, the two different kinds of trees, the two different kinds of fruit, and he speaks into those who will say, Lord, Lord, and they, they don't actually have Jesus as Lord of their lives. He talks about the two different ways to build a house, build our lives, that there's two different kinds of ground that we can build upon. And Jesus specifically referencing the rock, building upon the rock, that we're, our house needs to be on that solid foundation, knowing that Jesus was speaking to disciples in that uh, point of his ministry, uh, the, the things of the kingdom that we got to study all summer, and to know that those things of the kingdom are not so that a bunch of people would just know the kingdom's not for them. That's not the takeaway from the Sermon on the Mount. This isn't for me. The kingdom obviously isn't for me. No, the takeaway would we would go, Jesus, you're wanting everybody to be there. You're wanting the kingdom to belong to them. But it's got to be on your terms. If we're not coming to you, if we're not gaining a righteousness that's greater than the scribes and the Pharisees, a righteousness that has to come from someone who's truly righteous, that was Jesus himself. If we're not on that road leading to life, if we're, if we're not building our house the, the right way, then, then we can't be in the kingdom. But that doesn't mean he doesn't want everybody to be there. And, and to know that 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 sermon is an invitation, just as much as he's speaking it to disciples, it's an invitation for you and for me and for everybody in this world, that Jesus is wanting us 
to be a part of his kingdom. This passage of scripture came up for me a few different times. I, 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 we're going to take two weeks to, to look at this before we jump into a longer chunk of time where we're going to be diving into one specific book of the Bible. But we're going to start today just a two-part study I've titled, Coming to and Building Our Lives on Jesus. Coming to and Building Our Lives on Jesus. We're going to be covering this in 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 10. And in part one today, we're going to be looking at verses 4 through 8. And so let's actually read that whole section of Scripture up front, 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 4, all the way through verse 10. The Apostle Peter, writing here by the inspiration of the Spirit of God, says, Coming to him, verse 4, as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious, but to those who are disobedient, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. Verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light who were once not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We're just sort of jumping into this scene in Peter's letter, just some really brief context, coming off the heels of a section of Scripture where prior to this, Peter, who was present as Jesus gave his Sermon on the Mount a little over 30 years earlier, emphasized the the powerful and enduring nature of the Word of God to what he he now goes to to say here in the verses we just looked at. It becomes clear that the goal of all of our feasting upon the Word of God and getting God's Word into us is that through the written Word of God, we would come face to face with the living Word of God, Jesus, experiencing Him, communing with Him, building our lives upon Him, as our solid rock, our solid foundation. I, I don't know how long, you know, assuming that everybody in here is a, a disciple of Jesus, I don't, I don't know how long you all have been walking with the Lord. But maybe early on, something impressed you, something stuck with you. And, and maybe you've had a long period of time, maybe you've had 30 years or 30 years plus like Peter, where, where there's something, there's a truth of Scripture that it just, it's still something that you share as if you had just heard it for the first time. And that's Peter here in some ways, I believe. 30 years later, 30 years after being present on that mountain that we call a mountain, there near the the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus ended his Sermon on the Mount saying, you know, 
the, the person who hears my word and does them, I will liken to them a wise man who built his house on the rock and then the floods came and all, and his house was still standing because he was built on the rock. That, that we can hear even in some of these things that Peter's now writing in this first letter 30 years removed, that Peter is sort of calling to mind that Jesus is the solid rock we're to build our lives upon. That, that in Jesus giving that sermon, it was the invitation to come to him. And I love it that Peter, it's just like these things are still sort of fresh in his mind as he's now having this opportunity to write and to, to reinforce some of these truths about the Lord. That, that we're to commune with, we're to build our lives upon Jesus. And the reinforcement for this is found in the first part of verse 4 where Peter says there, coming to him. Look at verses 4 and 5 with me. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Before we dig into these verses, I want to share an insight from the Bible knowledge commentary on the phrase coming to him. The collaborative commentators there said, as you come to him, does not refer to the initial response of a sinner who comes to Christ for salvation. The participle's tense and voice indicate that this coming is a personal, habitual approach. It is an intimate association of communion and fellowship between believers and their Lord. If we're not already familiar with this, if maybe you've not spent that much time in God's Word, understand that we come to Him because He has invited us to come to Him. Not just for salvation, but continually so that we would enjoy a continual closeness of fellowship with Him. And, and this should be incredibly encouraging for each of us today. Our God is a God of invitation. He's a God of invitation. He's a God who desires closeness with people. And we see this from the very beginning of Scripture all the way to the very end. We see it from the moment that God is in the garden with Adam to the, to the moment at the end of the book of Revelation where the Spirit and the bride are saying, come, come, of God creating a new heaven and a new earth where He will be there in the midst of us. That our God is a God who's going, I want you. I want you. You ever invited somebody over to your house or invited someone to a meal? And then afterward, you thought, I don't think I ever want to invite that person again. That was awkward. That was weird. They offended me. They disrespected my food. 
that I made for them. Whatever the thing is, you're like, I don't know that I want to spend that much time with this person. Let's take that mentality that we have on a very human level and let's, let's bring that and, and, and look at, at the Lord. Knowing that Adam and Eve are going to sin against him, knowing that humanity would continually rebel against him, would kill his prophets, would, would murder his son, and go, but I want you. I want to be with you. I'm going to bring my word to you. I'm going to send prophets to you. I'm going to, I'm going to become man to walk among you. And then at the end of it all, I'm going to invite you to be with me forever. If I was God, in my humanness, I would never do any of that. Right? Let's just be honest. On a very human level, we would go, I don't think I want that. And these are those things for us that we just go, thank you, God, that you're not like us. You became like us to reach us, to save us. But thank you, Lord, that you're not like us. Thank you that you desire me, that you invite me in, this amazing kingdom that we just spent eight weeks looking at. Lord, that's for me. That's for us. Not because we're great, because we know that we're not. But because, Lord, you're great. Your love is great. Your grace is great. Your salvation is great. Our God is a God of invitation. He brings us in. He draws us near. He wants to enjoy closeness of fellowship and relationship with us. And this is something, again, we see from the very beginning to the very end of Scripture. And there are many places in the Word of God where we, where we see the Lord actually telling His people, telling us to come to Him, where He's inviting us to draw near to Him, to enjoy Him, to find in Him all that our hearts really are longing for. But for the sake of our time this morning, we're just going to stick with four passages, four passages where we see this invitation really, really clearly, okay? And so... If you're not a note taker in general, I would encourage you, become one. Become a person. If that's in your phone, do it. If that's grabbing a prayer request card and writing on the back of it or bringing it in, saw someone walk in with a notepad this morning. We learn more when we're taking notes. It's like a, it's proven, right? Not so that you can go, wow, look at what Pastor Drew does. We want to know what God's Word is saying. And God, what are you speaking to me? And what, what are you wanting me to take away from this? What should I walk away and, and, and seek to apply to my life this week? The first one, Isaiah 55, not the first place in Scripture, but the first passage we're going to look at this invitation, Isaiah 55, verses 1 through 3. And this is Jehovah God speaking here. He says, ho, not ho, 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 just one ho, ho. Everyone who thirsts, it's not Christmas time yet, just slow down. Some of you are like ready for Christmas already, don't do it. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come, notice these words, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, 
buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. The Lord says, why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear and your soul shall live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. The Lord there in the Old Testament, same God, the God of the New Testament, come. Are you thirsty? Come. Do you not have any money? I like that one. I've always liked that part. Come. Have you been spending yourself on things that don't satisfy you? I mean, you're spending yourself on things and it's just leaving you in the same state that you were before you had the stuff, had the status, had the success, had the position, had the relationship. The Lord says, I've got what you need. Listen to me, come to me. And I'll make an everlasting covenant with you. The second passage, Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Jesus there says this. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Not yolk, like an egg yolk. A yoke. Just like in those days in very agrarian society, where they'd need to link up two animals together to pull a plow or something. So they'd yoke them together, a yoking device. I love it that Jesus is saying, like, just get out ahead. I'll be behind you. Come along. He doesn't say come along with me. Come walk way behind me. Like You can kind of be near. You can look at me from afar. He doesn't say, go ahead of me. I, I got you. I got your back. I'm like 100 yards behind, but like, keep going. We wouldn't feel like I'm getting that soul rest if, if he's going, just go ahead. I'm, I'm there. I'm there. I'm by you. He's going, I'm right up next to you. They picture in their minds, they're getting this idea of a yoke, of things being yoked together, and they're going, there's work to be done. There's a field to to be in. And, and, And those animals are necessary. But Jesus is going, you come alongside me. I'm gonna come alongside you. I'm gonna yoke myself with you. And I'm gonna do it in such a way where I'm taking the brunt of it. 
Yes, you're still in the yoke. Yes, there's still life to be lived and things are hard at times. But I've got you. I've got you in such a way that I'm carrying the yoke with you. And what you're going to receive on your end of the yoke is lightness. Is lightness. Is rest for our souls. Let's think about this. We don't, if we looked at two animals in a yoke and they're plowing, we're going, look at how at rest they are. We're going, man, that's, that's hard work. Those animals are getting down in the dirt and they're going and they're pulling heavy things and they're making things happen. But there's this amazing thing when we yoke ourselves to Jesus, there's still work to be done. There's still life to be lived. There's still trials to experience But he's going in the midst of it. If you're truly yoked to me, if you've got me and I've got you, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach you. You're going to learn from me. And you know what you're going to get? Rest for your soul. We've talked about this. We've talked about this. I've brought this up many times over the years. You and I can take a nap, we can have a week off of work, we can go on a three-week vacation even if we wanted to. Maybe not. Maybe we can if we wanted to. They're like, who are you, Jared? I never got to take a three-week vacation in my normal working years, but you ever come out of a vacation and feel like you need a vacation from your vacation? You can rest physically. And still be at unrest mentally. Your soul, suke, the mind. Jesus is going, I can give you a deeper rest, a rest for your soul. He can do something internally in us. He wants to do that. And he knows, guys, that we get burdened. He knows that we go through hardship. Are you laboring? Are you burdened? Are you overwhelmed by things in life? Some of us this morning would go, that's me. If you were asking me to raise my hand, Jared, I'd raise it right right away. Jesus wants to walk through the difficulties of this life with us. But we've got to come to him. That's the operative term there. Come to me. Invitation. He didn't say, oh, you got that burden? Don't put that burden on me. I don't want that. Ugh. Like, you ever had somebody just like vomit all their problems and like, a, and you're like, wow. Like, I just, I feel yucky afterwards. And there's like a real biblical component to bearing one another's burdens. There's part of that where we come alongside and, and someone might open up and, and we might feel burdened for them. There, we're, we can share that, but we don't share it to keep it ourselves. We share it to bring it to the Lord with them. And Jesus is going, I can handle it. Whatever you got going on in your life, I can handle it. All that yucky stuff, all the baggage that you're carrying around, I can handle it. 
Come to me. But the third passage, though, John 7, again, Jesus giving an invitation. John 7, 37 through 39. We're told in that passage, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. We could contrast that even with John chapter 4, Jesus with the woman at the well, talking about having living water. If she had come to him and drink, she would never thirst again. We consider that passage in Isaiah 55, Jehovah God speaking, saying, Come, those who are thirsty, right? Come and drink. But, but these passages all make it clear that each of us is born with a spiritual thirst and a spiritual hunger. You ever noticed in our day, and this has always been true, like this isn't like, oh, well, now all of a sudden we're like in a different sort of realm as, of, of humanity, like there's always been, quote-unquote, spiritual people. But we're in a time, if you've noticed, that there is, a, an, an, I feel like, an extra emphasis on the spiritual. Exploring the spiritual, being open to the spiritual. And you know what that tells us? It tells us that we're created with the thirst. We're created with spiritual hunger. We have a spiritual appetite that God's put something into the heart of humanity so that we would seek after him because he's the only one with the living water where if we drink of him, we receive of him, we'll never thirst again. He's the only one. He's the one who calls himself in scripture the bread of life. That if we hunger, we can come to him and receive and we'll, we'll never hunger again. Those things just reinforce to us that humanity is screaming out, even though they don't realize it, for Jesus. They're seeking, they're groping for something of meaning. And for you and me, we see in the pages of Scripture, it's Jesus. You and I have him. We can, in a sense, give him to other people through our lives, through the giving of the gospel message, of sharing how Jesus has satisfied us of our thirst that was there and we found it met in Jesus. There are people who are seeking and scratching and clawing at truth, at something of meaning, something of substance in this world, and they're looking for it, just as we would say people are looking for love in all the wrong places. People are looking for spirituality in all the wrong places. The God of Isaiah 55 is the same God of John 7. The same one who said, come to me 
If you're thirsty, if you're hungry, is the same God in human flesh in the Gospel of John saying, I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. I've got you. I've got what you need, but you've got to come to me. The fourth portion of Scripture here, again, we, there could be many that we could share, look at, where we see this invitation, but we see our final one we're going to consider this morning, Hebrews 4, verse 16. The writer of the book of Hebrews says, that, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Guys, we don't come boldly to the throne of grace because of the throne itself. You ever notice throughout humanity how we like are notorious for taking an object and thinking that's the thing? That's the thing. It's the ark. It's the, you know, even for the Israelites that came out of the wilderness, it was the the rod with the bronze serpent, that thing became a snare to the people of Israel later on. We could take a thing. Oh, it's the thing. It's this place. It's a certain church. It's this certain thing that I say. No, it's the one who sits on the throne that makes the throne of grace a throne of grace. It's the one who is full of grace and truth, Jesus, who's sitting on the throne of grace. He's the one who we boldly come to. Over and over, we're being reminded to come to Jesus. The one who's full of grace, the giver of grace, who's abundant in mercy. He's the one who's able, who wants to help us. In time of need. But the invitation is to come. To come boldly. To come expectantly. To come in humble dependency. But the invitation requires us to respond. It's not enough to know that an invitation has been given. You ever received an invitation to a party or to a, a wedding but then you, you didn't go. You're like, well, I got this nice invitation. It, maybe it didn't work out. I couldn't make it. wasn't the right timing. Had other stuff going on. I was busy that day. But was the invitation enough? No, you, you got to act on the invitation to be a, a part of the thing that's happening. And for Jesus, he's going, look, I'm, I'm inviting you. I've told you to come. I've told you who I am. I've told you what I want to do in your life. But You've got to turn. You've got to come to me. Now, it's likely that there will be some, even among us, who would hear all of this. They'd hear all these different passages of Scripture, but still feel like, I, you know what, I can't. I can't come to Jesus. Because of a multitude of reasons. I mean, I get it. 
and I understand that Jesus wants to save and he died to save, but I don't, I can't. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know my past. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I'm struggling with now. I can't just, I can't just come. How many people feel like, I'll come, but i got to clean myself up first. Let me figure things out. Let me get rid of my doubt. Let me overcome my, you know, my, my fears. Let me, you know, let me get to a different place. Then I'll, then I'll come. But I can't come right now, not in my present state. And so for some, they'll, they'll hang back on the fringes. They'll look longingly from afar at Jesus, but not come to him. And if that's anybody here this morning, you're feeling today, you, you can't come to Jesus, whether that's your past track record, your present performance, sin in your life in the past or present, doubt or unbelief or feeling like your faith is just not strong enough and those things are making you feel like you can't come to him or, or whatever the reasoning is that you might have that's holding you back. Don't let any of those reasons or feelings keep you from the truth and promise of Scripture that the God of the universe desires you. He wants you to come to Him with whatever baggage, whatever unbelief, whatever sin even that you might have, that if you come to Him, you will not be put to shame. He's not going to humiliate you. He's not going to send you away empty-handed. Listen, how we come to Jesus and how we see Jesus matters greatly. We're to come to him, as we see in verse 4, to a living stone chosen by God and precious. Unlike every other stone on this planet, this stone, Jesus is alive. He has life. You guys, maybe not the younger crew in this room, but you know of the, the pet rock, right? It looks so alive. Came in a box and had holes in it so the rock could breathe. It had eyes, and the eyes spun around like it's checking things out. I got my pet rock. It's all, you pet it. Right, the pet rock. Pet. Put it on the shelf. You talk to it here and there. The pet isn't, a, the rock is not alive. We, know, we all know that. We get it. It's just a stone. Sorry. Sorry, Merrick. I know. I blew it for everybody. It's like telling kids that there's no Santa or something. Anyways. But Jesus is different. Peter's saying, look, this rock is alive. He's living. I, I think part of Peter calling Jesus a living stone is that God throughout the Old Testament likened himself to a rock, not to a pet rock, but oftentimes to a massive sort of rock, 
a huge, maybe granite shelf sort of rock where people could find refuge and strength and comfort and security. We see a giant rock and we see the, a large stone, we often probably think of how firm and solid it is, immovable by man and unmoved by a strong storm, even floodwaters, being a secure place to build. No doubt Jesus had this sort of rock in mind in Matthew 7 when he said that we're built to build our house on the rock. We come to Jesus as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, and we'll look, at, look more at that later on, but, but chosen by God and precious. I, I hope we all are on the same page with this, but Jesus' value isn't found in whether people accept him or not. Or, or whether people see him as precious, as, as, as valuable or not. No, his value is found in who he is and what he's done. You know, we as people can attribute value to very strange things. Right? We can have a memento. We have something in our house. And to anybody else, they would just go like, just throw it away. Maybe your spouse or a kid or a friend has told you, just throw the thing. Why do you still have it? Why is it in your garage? You've not used it in 20 years. But to you, it's precious. It's valuable. I saw something just recently where there was some burned up, I think it was a Ferrari, just like a, it just destroyed. Like it's not even salvageable. And it was something like the, 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 the car was still being appraised at like over a million dollars for whatever reason. Maybe it was the kind of Ferrari it was or who it belonged to. But we can attribute the weird value to the weirdest things. And someone else goes, that's not, I wouldn't pay more than five bucks for that. We don't come to Jesus with that, some sort, that sort of mentality. We don't come to him and go, well, you know, he did die. I mean, how precious is he? Was massacred on a cross. No, like those things for us as, as those who know him, that actually in our eyes, it, 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 it brought the value of Jesus up in our estimation. Not that it wasn't already higher than it would have been in our minds or our hearts. So like, Jesus holds a place that nothing else can touch. When we're told that we've been redeemed with the precious blood of the Lamb, we can think it's just blood. But the blood of the Son of God, the most valuable thing that ever could be put on the table for you and me to redeem us, to save us, to pay, for, uh, pay our debt to bring forgiveness of sins, to give us access to the Father, to, to give us an eternal inheritance and a place in heaven. Like there's nothing more valuable than that. 
And that precious blood is attached to the precious lamb of God. It's Jesus. There is nothing, there is no one of greater value than him. But I would ask us this morning, is Jesus precious to us? You know, there's times where we can kind of just, we, it's like the whole, you know, the, the, the danger of familiarity. Like we just kind of like take for granted what we're familiar with. We, you know, it just kind of like dull, maybe dulls for us over time. Like, yeah, of course I know Jesus died for me. And it's like, do we need to let God just kind of smack us right between the eyes? Not in a smacking us up inside the head kind of, but just something where he just kind of penetrates us right into our, 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 our mental faculty, to our heart to go, oh my gosh, like, Lord, I've lost some of that admiration. I've lost some of that awe of you. Lord, I've, I've not seen you as precious like you truly are. Lord, bring me back to that place where I see you for just as precious as you truly are. Does the, Jesus, the value of Jesus exceed and surpass everything else and everyone else in our lives? Because if he's not precious to us, we're going to find it hard to come to him continually in faith, to enjoy him, to come with confidence even to build our lives upon him. Because we'll start to value other things. Well, that seems like a pretty good thing to build my life on. Because that's what the world's telling me. We've got to have a right perspective, a biblical perspective of Jesus if we want our love for him to be the greatest it possibly can be, if we, if we desire to come to him the way God's word calls us to. Look again at verse 5. Peter says, You also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're not going to go super in-depth into this verse today because we're going to do that next week. But I, I do want to point out that there's this amazing transformative work that God is desiring to do and is doing in the lives of those who come in the way that Peter is describing here to the living stone, Jesus. These people, each of us who are disciples of Jesus, who have been saved by the blood of Jesus, are now integral parts in the spiritual house that Jesus is building his church. He remains the cornerstone. He's the centerpiece. He's the foundation of his church. But when we come to him in faith, when we receive his salvation, he, he did something in us spiritually. He took a life that was dead in sin and trespasses. He gave us life. He gave us salvation. He's now made us living stones in his house. And, and not just living stones that are part of the building materials of the spiritual house Jesus is building, but also servants in his house. And we're going to look at that in greater detail next week. 
But, but know that the invitation to come to him is not an invitation to be a guest inside his house, but an important, strong, vibrant, living, structural, unifying part of his house built upon him. In coming to him, he has now made us into living stones also. Strong, useful, able to be chiseled and and chipped and hammered on by our master architect Jesus to where he can fit us together seamlessly as he builds his house. A house where we get to be family, a house where we get to worship and serve Jesus together, but also a house that would be an inviting place for others to come and find salvation and life and hope in Jesus as well. So we've seen the invitation in verses 4 and 5, but let's look at our solid foundation now in verses 6 through 8. Verse 6 goes on to say, Therefore, it is also contained in the Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. As we get into these verses, we see that Peter starts quoting other parts of Scripture. And specifically, he's quoting from the Old Testament. In, in verse 6, Peter is quoting there Isaiah 28, verse 16. In verse 7, he's quoting Psalm 118, verse 22. And in verse 8, he quotes Isaiah 8, verse 14. And all of these passages speaking about the cornerstone, all speaking prophetically about Jesus Christ. And in him saying, uh, and in him starting verse 6 by saying, therefore, Peter's Letting us know that the things he just wrote about in verses 4 and 5 are rooted in what has already been written in Scripture. The foundation for our coming to Jesus is that Jesus is the foundation. He's the cornerstone who invites us to come to Him, to find our identity and hope in Him, to build our lives upon Him. And just for a bit of clarity, a cornerstone... Was a, was a very large stone at the corner of a foundation that basically everything else was built off of. It was the most cr- uh, crucial part of the foundation and the building that was to take place. Without that most crucial piece, the foundation would not be straight and the walls would not stay up. They would eventually fall and the building would be destroyed, which is exactly What happens in a person's life without Jesus Christ? Their their foundation is, is shoddy and crooked, likened to building on sand. And eventually the building of their lives will come crumbling down. Unless Jesus comes and takes that most crucial part of their lives, their hearts, and and sets things right. The the living stone, our chief cornerstone, the one who is chosen and precious, Jesus himself is the one who makes us alive, who gives us 
strength and soundness and purpose to our lives. Who brings us in and gives us a home and who, t- who tells us that we'll never be put to shame. Don't buy into what this world would want you to think. There is no true foundation. There is no solid foundation apart from Jesus. Listen to what we're told in 1 Corinthians 3 verses 9 through 11. Paul the Apostle writing there, he says, For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. According to the grace of God which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. See, the one who's the chief cornerstone is the one And the only one, the only true and solid foundation that we're to build our lives upon as living stones, stones that Jesus is taking and putting together, building us up into a spiritual house where spiritual service and sacrifice and and worship takes place centered upon Jesus. I want to show you the parallel passage of the passage that Jared taught last week in our final Sermon on the Mount study, but in Luke 6, verses 46 through 49, Jesus said this, he said, but why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation, against which the stream beat vehemently, and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. Every person is building their house, building their life on something. And either that something is a, is a solid foundation, it's, it's Jesus Christ, it's the chief cornerstone. Or that something is, is earth, it's shifting sand, which is not solid, it's not stable, it's not trustworthy, it's not a reliable foundation to build upon at all. You know, the quicker, easier route would be to not dig deep to find the foundation stone. It's a lot easier to just go, I'm just going to start building. I'm just going to build. But that route leads to ruin when the storms of life come, and it leads to eternal ruin on the day of judgment. The way to avoid ruin, to avoid judgment is to trust the architect, is to trust Jesus, who not only has the building plans, who has all the building materials and is himself the solid foundation we can build upon. Again, as Peter referenced there, those who believe in Jesus will by no means be put to shame. We won't be forsaken. We won't be turned away. We won't be humiliated when we make him our cornerstone and the foundation of our lives. 
There's a stark contrast found in verses 4 through 8. The contrast is between those who come to Jesus, come to him relationally in belief and faith, those who see him as chosen and precious, coming to him as the rock and cornerstone they're to build their lives upon. But on the other hand, there are those who won't come to Jesus, who reject him because of unbelief and disobedience to the word, those who stumble over him and are offended by him. We see from these verses that there are only two ways to come to the living stone, to come to our chief cornerstone. Either we come to him in belief, we build our lives upon him as living stones, or we come to him in disbelief and we stumble over him because we've rejected him as the stone we need to center our lives in eternity upon. To those who come to him in belief, he's precious, he's the cornerstone. But to those who are disobedient, who won't believe, who don't see him as precious, he's a source of offense, and because of that offense, he's rejected by them, and instead of coming to him, they stumble over him. And while we see this still happening in our day, the fulfillment of these passages Peter's referencing happened in Jesus' day in his life and ministry. Jesus talked about himself being the cornerstone who was rejected by the builders. This is found in Matthew 21 and Mark 12 and Luke 20. The, the religious leaders of Jesus' day saw themselves as the builders, the ones who had the market cornered when it came to the things of the kingdom of God. And yet they rejected the chief cornerstone, the, the most important piece of the building of the kingdom of God. They rejected God himself. The rejection of the builders didn't change the fact that Jesus was the chosen and precious stone. It just showed their disobedience to the word that they claimed to be experts of. Listen, as we see in Luke 20, it's, it's better to fall upon the stone Jesus and be broken than it is to have the stone Jesus fall on us, grinding us to powder in judgment where there's no return, no healing to be found because it's too late. I just encourage us today, you know, as we come to him, to not stumble over him. Maybe we have some sort of expectation in our minds as the worship, lead, uh, worship team comes up where, you know, Jesus doesn't fulfill our ideal. He doesn't do what we wanted him to do, and so we stumble over him. We become offended by him. But to see him as he truly is, to see his promises in his word, and to know that we can come to him, that we can build our lives upon him, to know that he's building our lives as living stones and building us together as a body of believers. You know, we come to Jesus because he came to us. He left the comforts of heaven to live and walk among us. He first loved us. He gave his life for us and, and gives new life to us. And, and these things should cause us to see him as precious, should, should stir and motivate us to come to him and keep coming to him over and over again in fellowship because he's invited us to come. 
He's invited us to build our lives upon Him and His Word and His love every single day till we see Him face to face. But if you've been stumbling over Jesus, if you've been hanging back and not coming to Him because of a multitude of reasons maybe, or maybe it's just one reason in your mind and you've built that thing up in such a way where it's actually caused you to stumble instead of come in faith, I would encourage you today, don't hang back any longer. Don't stumble any longer. Come to Jesus. Come in faith. Come with boldness, knowing that he wants you to come. He wants you to come. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you. Lord, that you desire us, that you put all these invitations in your word for us, that we would know, Lord, that we can come to you, to have our spiritual hunger and thirst satisfied. We can come to you when we're weary, we're heavy laden, we're burdened, we can find rest for our souls, or we can come to you. In boldness, to find mercy and grace, to help in time of need. Lord, we can come anytime with anything. And Lord, you will never turn us away. Lord, maybe for some of us, we've been building our lives upon other things. We've been building our identity upon something else that's just, the, it's shifting sand. Lord, God, would we, would we forsake those things, Lord, that we've been building upon that aren't you? And God, would we come to you, our chief cornerstone, and build rightly? Lord, maybe some today, they, they've been stumbling over you. They've been offended by you even, maybe. Lord, maybe they're just offended because you've, you've told them that they're sinners and that they need a Savior. And in their pride, they're offended. They're offended. Lord, today, would you bring a humbling work? God, those that have been stumbling over you, Lord, would they just, God, would they, would they repent, Lord? Would they turn to you in faith? Would they come to you, Lord? Fall upon your grace. Find your salvation. Lord God, we just, we need you, Lord. But we're thankful, Lord, that you love us, that you desire us. Lord, that you're working in our lives and working on us. God, help us, Lord, to be those who come and continue to come. Lord, and if there's anybody today who hasn't put their faith in you, Lord, God, maybe it's some, even that they, they've, they've done that at some point in the past, but Lord, they've been caught up building their lives on other things, Lord, or maybe they're just caught up in sin. And Lord, today you're calling them to a place of decision, to a place of surrender, 
to a place of repentance. If that's you today, you're going, look, that's me. I need Jesus. I've been building my life on other things. And I want to build right. I want to build upon the solid rock. I want my life to stand. I want to know that my eternity is secure, that my sins have been paid for. Would you raise your hand where you're at so I can pray for you this morning? If that's anybody in here and you're going, that's me. I want Jesus to save me. Maybe you've been, maybe you've come to Jesus and you put your faith in him, but you've been caught up in building your life on something else, finding your identity in something else. And this morning, Jesus is going, look, like, just come back again. Come back. Would you raise your hand? I'd love to pray for you. Yeah, I see you. Anybody else? You're going, that's me this morning. Lord God, I pray for these that have just said, Lord, I need to come back once again. Lord, I've been building and doing things in a different way. Lord, I've been doing things my own way. Lord, are there sin that needs to be confessed and repented of? Lord, I just pray that God, between them and you, Lord, in their own hearts, they would just ask you for forgiveness. (laughs) Lord, your word says that if we confess our sins, you're faithful and you're just to forgive us our sins. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Lord. And I pray that you would do that with them even now. That, God, you take them off of those things, Lord, that they've been building upon, Lord. Those paths that they found themselves on. Lord, that they would begin to build upon you, Lord. Lord, we just want to respond to your word in these songs of praise. And having opportunity to take communion, Lord. To have opportunity to be prayed for by somebody else, the prayer counselors that are going to be available. Lord, would you continue, Lord, to move in this place, move in our hearts, God? Would you, would you just beckon us near, Lord? Would you just bring us to that place of awe, Lord, that we would see you for how precious, how valuable, Lord, you truly are. Father, we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.